You can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself, and that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection, Buddha. My guest today is going to set your views about self-love on its head and what mainstream offers and doesn't offer. Stay tuned. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Her Brilliant Health Revolution podcast with Dr. Kieran. So glad that you are choosing to join me today. So excited to share my guest with you. I heard her share her story a couple weeks ago, and it was super powerful. And you are going to love this story, not because it's a great story, but about what it says about your life and your healing. I know if you're showing up today that you are suffering in some way and you're needing some type of healing, you're not experiencing the health and vitality that you know are your birthright, and you're seeking answers. Well, Dr. Masseri has answers for you. And you're going to love her story because just like my story, you know, I was trained in mainstream medicine. So was she. We really had to get a slap in the face, a cold water shower to change our views that actually allowed us to heal. And the same is true for you. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dr. Masseri, and then we're going to get started. She's a former colon and rectal surgeon, and she had a drastic awakening about the truth of her role as a physician that transformed her health, her life, and career. Her journey speaks volumes about essential tasks in life that women must overcome to heal and achieve the brilliant health that is their birthright. I'm going to give you, you know, the things that you need to know to so that you check the boxes that she's qualified, right? Board certified in general surgery 2005, board certified colorectal surgeon 2008. But interestingly, she's also a certified law of attraction coach in Quantum Success Coaching Academy in 2013. We'll have to talk about that, Carolyn, because I have something similar. Reiki master and teacher and all kinds of amazing other things. So anyway, welcome, Dr. Carolyn. So great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. So I have my story probably, which everybody listening has heard about my, I'm going to call it medical awakening. You've heard of, everyone's heard of spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. medical awakening. That's so That's good. That's what I I'm going to call it. We had yeah. a medical awakening that we had been trained in, mm, let's say some not full truths about healing. So what was your journey? Your successful colorectal surgeon doing surgery, taking people's colons out, rescuing gynecologists like me who end up with patients with stage four endometriosis that's grown into their bowel. And we call you, come do a bowel resection and you come rescue us. So what was that like? Well, isn't it funny? You know, I've been on the receiving end of that too. Help, I need help with the uterus. Please come. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, that is true. You guys call us sometimes. So definitely. I think the day that really got me, that really like astounded me was the day that I was sitting across the desk from my my boss, the, the senior partner of my practice. He just looked at me and he said, Carolyn, if you talk to one more patient about nutrition, you're out because that is not what you're here for. You're a surgeon. What you're here for is to book people for surgery, remove whatever it is that needs to be removed and send them back on their way to their lives. And I just looked at him and I was like, what? I don't understand. I I can't imagine. And then I felt to myself, you know what? Screw him. Like that's ridiculous. There's no way that I'm going to live my that I'm going to work in my practice that way. Like those women need me. Those people need me to talk about that stuff. They need me to explain to them that it's not just about like, let's take your hemorrhoids off. They need me to tell them if you eat better, if you take better care of yourself, if you're less stressed out, if you don't go hide in the bathroom to get away from your children for hours on end, you're not going to have hemorrhoids, you know? And But let me ask you, because I've known plenty of colorectal surgeons and they never talk to their patients about nutrition. I know people are listening have been to the surgeon. No doctor probably ever talked to them about what they eat. So something had to have happened to you before this event where they scolded you for talking about nutrition for you to wake up to the fact that this was even something you needed to be talking to your patients about what happened you know it's funny because my dad was the one who was really into holistic health he started off doing he really got into supplements when i was pretty young he had a chronic illness that he was diagnosed with when i was probably trying to think 18 19 he was diagnosed with hemolytic anemia cold antibody type And they told him that his chances of still being alive in 10 years were zero. And he was, you know, 50 at the time. And and he had some kind of a weird variant of it that wasn't like everybody else. And they also told him that he was going to have to take steroids and he was going to need this and he was going to need that. And he couldn't be around this. He needed to move to a warm climate. So he could easily have just like taken on what they said and done what they told him to do. And he would have been... Like every, you know, like most people with the disease that he had, he would have been dead probably in 10 years. Eventually, something would have caught up with him. Instead, he did move to a warmer climate. He did teach himself some techniques to be less stressed and to be, and he retired from his job probably five years later, retired from his job and, you know, lived his retired life and learned a lot about how to take care of his own health. Because one thing he was really clear about is that there weren't any doctors that knew what was going on with him. He had such a rare variant of it that, you know, I mean, there's people with rare diseases, they often do find themselves in this position. I guess I got to take care of myself. So my dad ended up in that position. I guess I got to take care of myself. And so at that time, when I was 20, I wasn't a doctor yet. I went to medical school later. I didn't go to medical school until I was 30. But even before I went to medical school, he was, he knew I had an interest in science. I worked at Harvard Medical School and he knew I had an interest in science. So he'd just call me up all the time. What do you think about this supplement? What do you think about that supplement? What do you think about this thing? What do you think about that thing? Do you think this might help? So he, you know, he just would call me and ask me all those things. So all through medical school, you know, I was talking to my dad about supplements and food and stress management and all of that stuff. But medical school was the exact opposite, as you know. Yeah. 
right? Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) Nutrition has nothing to do with anything. Why would you care about nutrition? (laughs) God. They literally, they say that without saying that. (laughs) But sometimes they say it overtly. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah, there was some study and the average physician gets five hours of nutrition training. And the, the funny thing is that as a colorectal surgeon, I mean, sorry, as a, as a general surgeon, before I became a colorectal surgeon, you had to understand nutrition because you were the one, at least in the hospital I worked in, you were the, the one who wrote all the, the TPN, the nutrition that hangs in a bag for people who can't eat. So I got lots of training in nutrition, but it was all about how to figure out how much B vitamin to add to the bag. How much protein do they need every day? Can we give them fats every day or do we have to give them lipids like every other day because their pancreas isn't working right? That's what we learned. But like the insanity of that is, is they say nutrition's not important, but then when people are really sick and they're in the hospital, then we're going to hang a bag with some nutrients. Now all of a sudden it's important. Like why was it important to talk to them about their nutrient status five or 10 years ago that maybe that would have prevented them from getting so sick where they end up in the hospital and need an IV drip of nutrients. Like that's this insanity about our medical system that most doctors don't get because you're essentially brainwashed into this. So you never question it. But now that we're outside of it, don't you look at that and say, that's insane. It's insane. One of the things that really stood out for me was when I was a medical student, they told us, you know, this is, so if you have somebody who's diabetic, you start with exercise and, and diet, and then you start medication if they fail exercise and diet. And then maybe five years later, they did some study. They looked at how many people actually changed their diet and nutrition before they became diabetic, and it was so low that they just eliminated that step and started putting people immediately. As soon as they had diabetes, they were on medication. There was no, none of this. They, they gave up on the idea that people would lose weight and they created a surgery to make people lose weight. And, you know, I personally did at least 50 of those gastric bypass procedures. Did you? And yeah. so what made you stop? It was just part of my training. We did it because oh, it was part, part of my your general training. surgery training. I, I didn't, I would never, I'm sorry. I understand well, let- Let's talk about that. So, you know, because, you know, this woman who used to walk my dog pretty regularly when I would go out of town, and she always had a little bit of a weight problem, but I never really thought that she was in the obese range where it was interfering with her health. But of course, we didn't talk on that level. And one day she just says to me, I had gastric bypass surgery last week. I'm like, oh, Wow. And it just seems like it's the answer that people go to. Of course, I saw her, this was about a year ago, and now I saw her the other day in the street, and she said she's just getting over gallbladder surgery. So for her, surgery is a way of life. You know, and I see there's so many people who that were basically socialized into this mentality when we're kids. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about this gastric bypass because, you know, it's my understanding that the statistics are pretty dismal that a large majority of people actually do regain the weight or then mm-hmm. they end up with other addictive types of problems like alcoholism. Can you talk about this a little bit? So what ends up happening with them is that their stomach is so small that they can't really enjoy food. But where I trained, I trained in Massachusetts. We have this place in Massachusetts called Friendly's. And Friendly's is like a, it's like an ice cream shop, but they also have hamburgers. But their big thing that they make is this milkshake thing. It's like... Similar to the McDonald's milkshake, but 10 times better because it doesn't have all the 
They don't add a lot of the chemicals to it. It's like, you know, it's mostly milk and ice cream and flavoring and maybe a little polysorbate 80 just to keep it, you know, keep it real. <laughs> yeah, I know friendlies. I know what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> so I forget, what was it called? A fribble, something like that. Wasn't it called a fribble? It was the friendlies fribble. I'm not recalling right now. That sounds but, probably right, though. I think it was called the friendlies fribble. Okay. So the fribble was like this big ice cream shake. And so what they figured out was that they could do the fribble. If they did it slowly, they could do like four ounces or six. They keep it in the refrigerator and they could do four to six ounces without, because, you know, with gastric bypass, I don't know if they, there's two ways that it works, right? It's the smaller volume of the stomach, but it also gives them dumping syndrome if they eat a lot of carbohydrate in one, in one meal. So, so the problem, of course, diarrhea, right? Yes. And it just, it just goes through. Right. So they don't want to get that dumping syndrome because it's pretty uncomfortable for them. Although many of them, I think, just get to the place where they don't care anymore. Right. You know, but so what we found was that people would just do that fribble thing. And that's the only thing they'd eat all day. They'd buy themselves a 16 ounce fribble. They put it in the refrigerator and they would just eat that all day because it tasted good. And it was, you know, it had a lot of sugar and fat in it and not like the good kind of fat, you know, because. You know, I'm a fan of fat, but it has to be the right kind of fat, not polysorbate, 80 and dairy fat. And, and who knows, you know, like where that dairy fat came from. But I guarantee you that it was not pasture-raised organic right. milk. Grass-fed. <laughs> right? Grass-fed and, milkshakes. Right. So they end they up... They gain the weight back. They gain the weight back. Right. And then, they, you know, they go back to the surgeon, oh, you know, we figure it out eventually, you know, what they were up to. And a lot of it, one of the, the program that I worked for, we had a whole program where they went before they had the gastric bypass and worked with the nutritionist and worked with the psychiatrist. You know, why do you emotionally eat? Why are you, know, we did do that. It's not right. like we didn't do that. Now, was it as effective as like, I know Trisha Nelson is in our program. Yeah. You know, Trisha Nelson has this whole emotional eating program that actually works. Yes. <laughs> Those programs didn't work. These people would just go right back to like, they'd have a bad day, eat a fribble. Their mother-in-law would get on their case, eat a fribble. Their kids were running around like nutsos, eat a fribble. So fribbles were bad enough. And then of course, like you said, there was a lot of people that figured out that they could drink alcohol. And medicate themselves that way. And, and so also this- medicate themselves with like liquid Tylenol number three, or liquid, you know, like any of those liquid Adderall. Yeah, no, not Adderall. Anti-anxiety, Ativan. Ativan. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they'd get themselves the liquid, whatever those were, and they just take those all day. You know, I want to talk about this. I think it's important because it highlights what we're, we've been saying, that the insanity of what we have accepted as being, quote unquote, normal and acceptable. I yeah. can't lose weight. Therefore, I'm going to go in and cut out most of my stomach and alter surgically my gastrointestinal system, which could kill me, which doesn't fix the reason why I was overweight. That's insane, right? Any, you know, if Martians come from another planet and they land, they're going to be like, wow, these people don't talk about nutrition until it's too late. And then they want to hang an Ivy bag. These people don't deal with the emotional eating problem and they want to cut out half their stomach so they can lose weight when that's not the cause of the problem. So it's insane. So both Dr. Carolyn and I had to come to this cold water in the face moment 
And it sounds like you had this training like I did. I had it from my mom. You had it from your dad in, you know, she used to give me and my sister echinacea and golden seal when we would get sick and make us sweat yeah. it out. And then I went to med school and I told her, mother, we heal with steel. I, I knew better than she did. <laughs> I love it. Right. But the, the seeds had already been planted. So I was always the oddball physician, you know, talking to my patients about their emotions and things like this and not just giving the drugs, which it sounds like you were too. Right. So now fast forward, you're sitting across this desk and they're right. telling you to stop talking to your patients about nutrition. Yes. And I just looked at him and I said, that is not going to happen. So if I said, if you don't like it, then I think this is, you know, I said, I'm not going to stop doing it. So you get to make your own decision about this. And not too much longer after that, I was sitting there trying to figure out how do I get out of this? Because, you know, I don't know how it was for you, but leaving a surgery job, you get stuck with that malpractice tale. If you decide to leave, it's fifty or $70,000 to cover your malpractice for three years after you leave that job. And so I had to figure out a way to get them to pay the malpractice tale because I didn't have $50,000 to pay it. And so how, how did that happen? I just kept doing all the things they told me not to do. And then, so they had to let you go and then they had to pay it. So, so this was really funny, actually. So my contract for that year rolled over. It was supposed to, I was done. I had finished my initial three-year contract with them. This was my fourth, it was going into my fourth year. They allowed my contract to auto-renew. And then... Um, so, because the way that it was worded is that three months before the end of the contract, if nobody, you know, said anything, then the contract automatically renewed at blah, 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 this salary, blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. And, you know, the funny thing is I didn't actually work for him. I worked for a big GI group that we worked for. So they didn't know anything about what he, the conversation he was having with me. And when they found out about it, they actually got mad at him because what was happening is that the GI doctors, there was one GI doctor that complained to him about me talking about nutrition. The other 120 of them all sat around at a meeting one day and said, thank God we have Carolyn Masseri. She's, you know, every patient that we send to her, they love her. Because <laughs> she talks to us about our health. And they come back to us and tell us, how great was that? We got to meet Dr. Masseri. She's so amazing. So one thing I want to point out that probably not a lot of people listening aren't aware of too is the politics and the monetization of medicine, how that works and what that looks like. So you yeah. mentioned before, he said to you, you're here to book surgeries. And I don't think that most people realize the whole politics of surgical block time, right? right? Like if you have a certain surgical volume, you are a lot, explain block time and the whole, <laughs> if they really understood what's driving and the example I like to give, which I'm going to give and I'm going to let you explain it is my son used to play sports when he was growing up and he played basketball. Well, during a game, he fell and he broke his fall with his wrist and he had a fracture in, in one of the bones in his wrist. So we took him to the orthopedist who said, oh my gosh, it, he needs a pin. He needs surgery. Mm -hmm. And, but then my son and my now ex-husband protested, oh no, but he's one of the star players on the basketball team. And there, the season has another two months and they can't win without him. 
So against my judgment, they said, we're going to just put a cast and let him play with the cast. And then we're going to re-x-ray it at the end of the season and see what needs to happen. Where I was completely protesting. I'm like, no way, this is ridiculous. And wait a minute, I'm sorry, I had it wrong. He, they, they didn't say it needed surgery. He just needed it casted, but they let him play. And I said, no, I didn't want him to play. And they overrode it and said, no, he's playing. So he plays the rest of the season. And then we go back and he does a follow-up x-ray. And he says, oh, now it's out of alignment. And now he needs surgery and needs a pin. And I'm saying, Oh, hell no. <laughs> like, right. why is that not malpractice? You let this kid who could have had a misalignment and need surgery play a game that could aggravate it. So I took the x-rays to one of my other colleagues who I trust. And I said, hey, Mark, look at this. And this is what's happening. And he looked at the x-rays and he said, he doesn't need a pin. He doesn't need surgery. Leave him alone. Right. So Wait, that's. Can I just yeah. ask, was it a scaphoid fracture? I don't recall. Okay. I don't recall what it was, but he said he doesn't need a pin. He doesn't need surgery. And, you know, the understanding between the two of us is he's just trying to fill his block time Whoa, with my son. Yeah. So yeah. can you explain this issue to people? I Okay. I'm, I apologize because I'm probably going to get a little politically incorrect here. <laughs> that's I that's hope okay. That's we're about you know, the truth. I don't. I don't need like a citation from the AMA. Hey, you, you, you know, we. This is how we've been doing things a million years. But here's the reality: is that surgeons need to operate to maintain their existence in life money. and money, but not just money. Their status at the hospital, right? Because what you bring in. So here's the here's the crazy thing. Say, for example, I book someone for hemorrhoids. I made five hundred dollars. The hospital made 20000 So it wasn't about me making money. It was about everyone making money. It was about filling the coffers and keeping the whole crazy system going every day. So even like colonoscopies. Colonoscopies, we'd make 700 bucks. I made more money doing a colonoscopy than a hemorrhoid, just so you know. Colonoscopy makes 700 bucks. The anesthesiologist would make 1500 and the hospital or surgery center would make somewhere anywhere between $3,000 and $7,000. So my job was to fill the coffers with, to keep the, the schedule full, to keep people going in that direction. So the funny thing is that in my office, I was the number two biller in my office. He was the senior guy who was on the other side of the desk for me. He was the number one biller, but I was not, I was the newest person in the practice. And within a year of being there, I was the number two biller and well on the tails of the number one biller, but I wasn't doing surgery. What I was doing is I was having people come to the office like every three weeks and working on relaxation techniques, putting the squatty potty <laughs> Yep, putting the squatty potty in the right position so that they could relax their pelvis so that they could go to the bathroom when they needed to. Working on their stress levels. I'm not saying I didn't do colon surgery. Of course I did. I did colon surgery. I did hemorrhoid surgery. I did colonoscopies. I kept a busy schedule. I was, I was you know, always working. But I probably only booked a third of the people that came to see me in the office for an actual procedure outside of the office. And the rest of it was me making money in the office. So I was making money for myself and for the practice, but I wasn't making money for all the hospitals and the surgery centers. 
Right. And so then you lose status and you also lose your block time unless you probably have my block time. Block time. Yes. So block time is in the operating room. They will give you an empty block that say like every Monday from nine to one or seven to one, you can schedule as many surgeries as possible. So right. you don't have to go through regular scheduling. So it's kind of like having a first class ticket on the airplane whenever you want to go. Whereas right. if you don't have one, you have to go in line with all the muggles to get an economy class whenever you can find a seat. This right. is like, I got a first class seat waiting for me. But if you don't fill that block time, they take it away. So you have to be booking surgeries all the time. And that means if in a doctor's professional opinion, and nowhere is this more evident to me than with hysterectomies, which is, I know, you know, top two surgeries performed in this country is, well, I could learn how to check your hormone levels and diagnose a hormone imbalance and fix it naturally, or I could do surgery and take your uterus out and get paid more for that and earn the hospital more and keep my block time. And I hate to be this frank about it, but I need think everyone needs to understand what you're dealing with when you're right. at your doctors and you think that they have your interest at heart 100%, but there's a polluting of the water where they're actually being incentivized to do procedures and surgery on you. Exactly. And, and the good thing was that we had group block time. I only had one hospital where I had my own personal block time. And I did usually fill my block time because it was one day every two weeks for five or six hours. And I, you know, that was lucky for me to be able to get that because that hospital had not given my group any block time ever in the time that I had been there. And so it was, and you know, just to tell one little quickie story, Yeah. my, so my business, my other partner, the one that I had like come in, beat out on the money made more of a salary than he did, even though he was nine years ahead of me. And he was the one who recruited me. He also operated that hospital. So it was just the two of us, the other two members of our group didn't work there. And one day I get pulled aside by the head nurse. And she said, if you don't talk to your partner about how he treats my technicians, he's going to lose his privileges. And I was like, uh, okay, I'll do what I can. But, you know, he was nine years senior to me. I didn't have a lot of say in that. But, you know, she didn't have anybody else to talk to. She couldn't, she didn't know what else to do. And I, apparently what he was doing and this, and you know, this happens, throwing things in the OR, swearing, abusing people, getting upset because his room wasn't set up on time, you know, just bad surgeon behavior. <laughs> right. Which is bad surgeon. It's, it's, yes. you know, it's well known in the field that there are those, you know, that there are those people. And, you know, I had to, I really had to struggle with that myself because I'm a, I'm kind of a, I was a type A person when I was a surgeon. I wanted things to run on schedule and have everything on my table the way that I wanted it. But what I learned was that the nurses and the technicians are the ones that are going to make your day go well or go really badly. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Hey there, it's Dr. Kieran. I'm just wondering how long you're going to go with those unbalanced hormones. I mean, you told me during the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit that you couldn't take it anymore. 
So where have you been? Since the summit, Deb M has already balanced her hormones, gotten to her goal weight, and is looking forward to wearing her bathing suit on the beach this summer. And Carrie, who hadn't been able to lose even five pounds in the past 10 years, has now lost an amazing 15 pounds and is feeling and looking great. Not to mention, she's sleeping better and her mood has improved. Aaron, Ashley, Debsy, and so many more are already enjoying the benefits of having balanced hormones. And I'm wondering if you could use some help finding out your personal hormone levels and knowing exactly what to do to balance your hormones so that you can lose weight, regain energy, balance your moods, feel sexy and confident, look great and master midlife or whatever you want to do. Know that all health begins with balanced hormones. Everything you want in life begins here and nothing good ever comes from tolerating hormone imbalances. We're launching the Hormone Balance Mastermind again this July, so don't wait. Space is limited, and it will be months before we run this program again. Go to www.midlifemetabolisminstitute.com to apply for the program or get on the early bird wait list so that as soon as registration opens, you can be the first to apply and secure your spot. If you've had enough and you want to find out how good life can be once your hormones are balanced, I know I'll see you there. Talk to you soon. And we're back. The effect of, because pretty much all all doctors who do surgery are that type A kind of alpha. We just are. But it's also about our cortisol levels and our stress. When you mm-hmm. deal with life or death on the operating room table and you have that high level of stress and then you have such high expectations of people working. So what's your realization now? You've been trained in Reiki, which right. I have too, and yeah. you know quantum physics and all of these things. And now you have a way more holistic way of, you're not in the operating room anymore, right? Nope. Right. So what do you know about that environment now? Is it a nurturing, healing environment for patients and physicians or highly toxic? It's incredibly toxic. And you know, really no one wants to do anything about it. And I think this COVID, this past year of COVID, for two reasons, has been incredibly hard on on that group of people. You know, and it's funny because I think when I told you my story a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that, that Sam asked me about it was, well, so then what did you do after you left that job? Yeah. Nothing. I took two years off to get myself back to be not burned out, to not to be not type A, to be not angry all the time. I found out I was diabetic or pre-diabetic, really. Mm-hmm. I guess I was pre-diabetic. You know, my my fasting sugars were okay, but my postprandial sugars would get really high. They would go up really fast and come back down really fast, but they went way above what they should go, mm-hmm. which most people don't even look at. I mean, I don't know very many endocrinologists that even look at those numbers unless you have the yeah, they don't. Even continuous, right? Unless you're doing a CGM. So they're not looking at those numbers. So my fasting blood glucose was fine, mm-hmm. but I was like 30 pounds overweight and I was you know, still working my way through. I couldn't sleep at night. Mm. You know, it took me years to sleep. Like I now go to bed at 10 o'clock. I never did that. 
when I was a surgeon. So, but I think this past year has been hard for two reasons. You know, one is I think this past year has been hard on anyone who worked in a hospital in, in the COVID zones, you know, in the places where COVID was active. I think it was really hard. Anybody who was a doctor and what you see over and over and over again is calling them heroes. They're not heroes. They're people have, who have been manipulated to believe that they have to put everything on the line for other people at the expense of their own selves, their own families, their own lives. We watched a couple of people, I know you saw this, we watched a couple of people who were very well-known doctors and were very good at what they do just die of COVID. Why? Because their cortisol levels were probably so off the charts that their body could not handle what it was dealing with. So there was that whole thing of like, we started to really see the truth and we think of it as a good thing, right? Doctors, they put everything into their, that's a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest bunch of crap we've ever pulled on anybody ever, that you have to put everything before yourself in order to take care of patients. You know what? I don't do that now. I bet you don't do that now. And you know what? My patients love me, think I do a great job, are really happy with what they get, know that if they need me, I'm available to them. But I do not. Like I'm going to go on vacation in June, and they're gonna, they know that they're just not going to be able to reach me for a week. Yeah, and I, part of my healing, too, was recognizing so many of the fallacies that I was taught in medical school residency and that I practiced for, you know, a decade and a half in, in practice, letting all of that go. It was such a toxic lifestyle for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm all things to everybody all the time. No, right. if you do that, you have nothing left, and but I have nothing left. Yeah, but it's also an addiction. It is an addiction. And I I think physicians are self-selected. I think it's a way to make yourself feel valued in the world. You asked me to send you some quotes. Yeah. That first one by Buddha, that's my favorite one, you know, is you can search the whole, I don't know the exact quote. You can search the whole world over. You can look everywhere and you will never find another being on earth more worthy of love than you. I love that too. And it's, it's true, but we, particularly as women and then physicians also, we really earn, think that we have to earn our worth by being of service to other people. And um, that almost killed me. And I'll say that almost all the women I work with, this is a part of their story too. They cannot mm-hmm. say no. Oh, I wish it was just doctors. Yeah, it's not. But it's moms everywhere. Yeah. And so part of it is learning to love yourself and pour into yourself. So I love that you Mm -hmm. took two years Mm -hmm. and you didn't do anything and you just nurtured yourself and got yourself back. I mean, I went went to Peru. Yeah. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so you really got on this journey of healing and now you're sharing from the overflow, but it sounds like with boundaries, which is what I do now too. It's like, I can help you as a partner on the path and journey of healing and health, but not as the savior. I'm not anyone's savior. You're here to save yourself. Right. Yeah. I can give you all the tools. And the reality is that you get to, and I've had people decide, okay, this is too hard. I can't do this. And so then what's the alternative? They go back to being on cholesterol medication and, and, you know, visiting the cardiologist every, every month. Right. It's a choice. And it really is a choice of 
standing up for yourself, owning your power and saying, I can do this. But after, you know, my own transformation and just all the, I've done this now for over a decade, the people I've seen, it's, it's transformational. And it sounds like you, like me, we both went to med school to be healers. Mm -hmm. And we thought that was the highest level of healing. But then once I got all the training and was in practice, I started saying, oh, my health isn't so great. And I see all these women at midlife, you know, with overweight and can't sleep and no sex drive and depression and anxiety. And I, I'm medicating them, but I never had anyone who I did a hysterectomy on or gave a fistful of prescriptions come back to my office and go, oh my God, Dr. Kieran, I feel amazing. No. It never happened. So I no. was asking my colleagues, like, what are we missing? And they thought I was crazy. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I discovered the causes, including the emotional causes of imbalance that I really got it and transformed my own health. Yeah. But like you said, this journey is not for everyone, right? It's not. But you know, it's interesting if I can tell one quick story yeah. from when I was actually still practicing surgery mm-hmm. fairly early on. I had a patient who came who come to me and as a colorectal surgeon, we often see people with pelvic floor pain, discomfort, difficulty going to the bathroom, anal fissures. Anal fissures often like the first sign of a pelvic floor dysfunction, but it's a bigger problem than just that they that they bleed when they go to the bathroom. So this woman came to see me and she was having, she felt like she was sitting on a pine cone and she'd been to five other doctors and they'd all just put her on, you know, antispasmodics and antidepressants and all of those kinds of things because there's a a group of antidepressants that we often use for chronic pain. There's some of the most unsafe antidepressants that are out on the market. They've been around a million years. So they're so grandfathered by the FDA that nobody really looks at them. But the reality is that they're not really safe medications, but they get used a lot. And of course, then they make people sleepy. So she came to me with these problems and I did an exam on her and I was like, wow, you know, and I, you know, I could, it could trigger, is it okay to talk about this? Like through the rectum, you can feel yeah. all the pelvic floor muscles. So I, you know, did an exam on her and I could feel this one muscle that was just like, you know, wild, really, really stuck down. And so I pushed on that muscle and she was like, wow, you know, that's really, that's definitely where my pain is. And long story short, she didn't want to go, she couldn't, just didn't want to go to another pelvic floor specialist. She'd already been to two physical therapists, the pelvic physical therapists. She'd already been to two, didn't really help her. She asked me would I be willing to do it for her in the office. So she came in every week and we worked on her pelvis. Well, so every time she came in and we worked on her pelvis, we talked. Well, it turned out that she was being abused in her marriage, that she was the major breadwinner in the family. They ran a family business and she was the one that was doing all the money to making all the money, but he was keeping all the money. And he was telling her, you know, she was this, she was that, she was that, she was this. And so over three months, she came every week, we worked on her pelvic floor and she told me all of these stories. And over time, she decided that she was going to change her life, that she wasn't going to live in that environment, that she was going to take her business and go and work for somebody else and do what she was doing and left her husband. Never came back to see me because her pain went away. Yeah, I love stories like that because most people don't realize the emotional component of healing and disease. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Dr. Gabor Mata says, there is no disease without emotional disruption. So right. <laughs> it really is a part of every disease. 
And so I, that's something that I emphasize with people. I hope everybody listening hears that mm-hmm. and ask yourself, you know, what emotions are you not handling, not processing, not dealing with, or not heeding in response, right? And not realizing, oh, wow, this pain. You know, it's amazing in my Hormone Balance Mastermind, which I do with women and my current groups of 20 women, we have seven women with frozen shoulder, mm-hmm. right? That's not a coincidence. No. <laughs> and is it the left right? one? For most of them, I want to say it's 50-50, left and right. Because the left one, remember, the heart is on the left-hand side. Yes. Right. So and so this women, is about... They, uh, they kind of naturally, if they've been hurt, if things have been happening to them, they naturally protect their heart. With their left shoulder. With their left shoulder. That's interesting. And I was t- looking at Louise Hay, what she says about it with we're shouldering the weight of the world and the responsibilities you shoulder. But it never occurred to me what you said, Carolyn. So now I'm going to have to go back and ask them about that left side covering the heart, protecting it. I'm going to do some research on that and get back to you. <laughs> it's going to hold up in research. I we'll see. We'll that's see. That's my experience. But it's just not a coincidence when seven out of 20 women suffering with their hormones are suffering with frozen shoulder and they're all type a go doers like we are or right. were let's say we were because we're oh, not no, like that still, you know what I'm just, still- <laughs> no it's not i'm how do i explain this so i'm still ambitious i still have a dream i have a dream for functional medicine for for alternative medicine that's bigger than my one human being can possibly create and i'm working on it every single day to have that dream come true. I guess what I'm saying by that is, at least for me, no longer, I'm not willing to let my ambition or care for others get in the way of my own well being and health. Totally, because that's the biggest component of it is how can I take care of anybody if I don't take care of me? Right. And then also, I always feel like I have to walk the walk to be believable. I do this. Right. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. I'm right. getting my eight hours of shut eye. You know, I'm doing all the things. Right. So I think it's so important for other women to hear your story, to hear as many doctor's stories as possible, because we were trained in mainstream medicine. And mm-hmm. and I think gone are the days when you can really abdicate control of your health to your MD, minor deity, medical doctor. You know, right. say that's what it stands for. Right. You really have to empower yourself and take time for yourself and love yourself and nurture yourself. Mm-hmm. What would be three take action tips that you might leave everybody listening with that might start moving them towards health if they're just feeling like they're in that downward spiral at midlife that we women can encounter? Yeah. So I think the first one is to listen to yourself. If you literally, I mean that literally, if you're having the same conversation with someone over and over and over again, if it's your husband or your kids or the people you work for or your patients, your clients, whatever it is. If you're having the same conversation over and over again, listen to that conversation because that conversation's for you. Whatever it is that you're saying, whatever it is that, like if you're saying, well, my husband never listens to me. Well, do you listen to you? So true. You know, are you afraid to ask for what you want? Because you already tried that once on a day when your husband was watching the Super Bowl you know, eating junk food, did you go and ask him, hey, you know, honey, can you take care of the kids for an hour? That might have been just a bad time for him. It doesn't mean he'll never do anything for you. You know, that that we we put ourselves in these positions over and over again where 
we hold a resentment against somebody for something, and then that resentment just continues to inform our behavior every time we have to deal in that situation. So, you know, listen to yourself, because whatever it is that you're saying, probably a place you're not taking care of you. Yeah, I love that. What would be number two? Uh, You know what? I'm always going to tell you, eat better. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, but eating junk food, eating on a weird schedule, eating over the sink, eating like with the refrigerator door open and like scooping ice cream, somewhere in there, there's some stuff that needs to be like let out, right? If that's what's happening to you, if that's what you're doing, but also like eat a diet that supports your body because your body is what takes care of you all day long and helps you to like move from whatever this place is to the next place to the next place. If you're eating junk food and your kids are running around like crazy because they're homeschooled and you know, the next thing that you want to do is go grab a glass of wine, probably you haven't eaten well today. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I say that this bookends that we women at midlife end up with coffee in the morning to wind up and wine at night to wind down. Mm-hmm. That was me for years. And it's mm-hmm. all the women I work with. Right. And it's a sign you're trying to medicate yourself on both ends. And you're probably not eating well. You're not nourishing yourself with sleep, mm-hmm. good sex, nature. Oh, yeah. Pleasure. Right. Pleasure. All those- my number three, pleasure or resentment. I kind of want to talk about resentment. Okay. Because one of the things I want to talk to people about is that we make this decision for ourselves. I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to let anyone talk to me the way that they're talking to me. I'm never going to let another boss do that to me. I'm never going to let another man treat me this way, right? We make these like rules for ourselves. And what ends up happening is I look at it as like it's you're in a maze and the walls of the maze just get pricklier and pricklier and pricklier. And pretty soon there's only one little narrow path that you can follow and you're kind of stuck. Your life's not happy. You're not enjoying yourself. You're not doing anything because you're never going to let that stuff happen to you again. Instead of working through it, letting go of the resentments about it, becoming clear that you now are not the same person you were five years ago. So there's no point in holding a grudge against something that happened five years ago because you have been growing. That situation is still stuck in, in, in static. And so start to take a look at the places where you made that decision. I'm never going to let that happen to me again. You know what? I get it. I don't want that stuff to happen to me again either. But what happens is we limit our lives we limit our relationships. We limit our love, mm-hmm. not just for ourselves, but also for other people. We limit our love every time we make a statement like, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. Instead of, hey, what happened there? What could I have done differently? How can I grow so that the next time this comes up, I handle it like a champ? Yes, I love that, that, in- that compassionate inquiry. Mm -hmm. into like, what's really going on here? Instead of no, 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 no. And sometimes we're saying yes, 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 yes to so many things we don't want to and Mm -hmm. saying no to other things. And that really does define us every decision we make at every second. And we make thousands of them every single day. Yeah. I love that because these are so core and essential and not everyone can help other women to navigate that. So thank gosh we have you, Dr. Carolyn. 
to help us navigate this. And, you know, your story is so powerful, such a strong stand that you have the the patriarchy telling you, like, you're not going to do this thing that really helps people. Mm-hmm. And I just love how you stood up. You stood up for yourself. But in that moment, you stood up for female doctors everywhere and for women everywhere because yeah. you took a stand for what was right. And I so feel that that's why I'm on this journey, that this is my life purpose. You're on this journey with me. And there are a bunch of other doctors like us, Mm -hmm. female, especially some male also, who are really on this journey to liberate people and empower them Mm -hmm. and liberate them from what is our current medical system so that they can reach higher levels of what's possible if they want that. You know, not everybody wants it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is true. You know, that people self-select. And I have, you know, I'm not everyone's doctor. I know well, that I'm right. here for the people that need for me. People that need you, know, you and want you. And, and they, they will find you. Right. And the reality is that I, I absolutely love working with people that have already been, and I did even when I was a surgeon, that have already been through five doctors and didn't get what they wanted. And, you know, I love working with those people because I teach them to take care of themselves without, so, you know, there's that, even with my dad, right? When the doctors couldn't figure out what to do with him, we get this, that iron spine, I can take care of myself. Well, of course you can. Mm-hmm. We were put on this earth that way. However, we were born to live in community. And so I can t- give you all the resources for you to take care of yourself. But part of that is going to be, what's the community that you survive, surround yourself with? Right. It's all a biopsychosocial model of health. We are our health is intricately connected to our community um, and our planet. And so it's all, all important. Thank you so much, Dr. Carolyn, for joining us today, for sharing your story, your experience, strength, and hope. It's so powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, post it on your social media and tag me, I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science.